0: Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Juliette Televi, And joining me to take your stock-related questions this evening are Jared Houston from All Weather Capital and Rowan Williams from Nitrogen Fund Managers. If you'd like to send questions, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Jared, Rowan, good evening to you both. Um, Rowan, if I may start with you today. It wasn't a bad day on the market. The overall close was in the green. uh, But it seemed very hard to discern... Uh, a clear theme so for example those shares that did pretty well today there was no real it, it wasn't the result it was a mixed bag and similarly those shares that um, that sold off
1: yeah so i guess october's been a really tough month for the market so we are getting closer to the end of the month and we did see i guess quite a dissipation of sort of the risk factors that have been uh, driving the market lower in the last few days particularly the situation in the middle east um that looks like it's going to sort of just uh be on a slow burn uh, and uh be somewhat prolonged uh with uh, sort of limited incursions by israel into gaza so uh, that obviously um took uh, the shine of oil and gold to some extent uh, but then we saw some of the industrial counters come back there were some notable exceptions which i'm sure we'll talk about so okay. more of a relief rally and uh, the market sort of moving up as as yeah as uh, the markets are participants are less mm-hmm. concerned about the near-term risk factors
0: Jared, um, one of those um, industrials that notably sold off was MTN, which came out with an update from Nigeria. And this is the MTN problem. It's got, you never know what is going to come out of some of the territories in which it's operating, um, uh, not South Africa, but but, but places like uh, Nigeria. Uh, and now it's it's kind of made a forex miscalculation that seems to be a pretty bad one, given what it's going to do to its earnings. Uh, and the shares sold off 7%. Um, so was that a bit of a shocker for you?
2: Uh, I think there's a couple of things to unpack with the uh, MTN news today. Um, one is clearly the MTN Nigeria result. I, I think it looked... I mean, on the face of it to be a reasonable top-line performance and operational result, but, but clearly on the margin lines is where you saw the pressure. I mean, the Nigeria devaluation is well known, but you're starting to see that come through in terms of the uh, cost lines and the guidance in terms of the outlook is it's going to be tougher in Q4. So there's certainly some revisions downwards in terms of numbers to come through there. The other issue you mentioned is just a revision in terms of what the H1 earnings looks like with a, um, a, a miscalculation of the unrealized effect loss that'll be that'll mean a 12% change to the HIPs for H1. So a bit of a restatement of earnings also causing further pressure. And we heard about the uh, tax appeal uh, just to give us an update on the negative news flow that we heard uh, last week. But like you said, particularly difficult dealing in Africa. And I think Nigeria probably is, is pretty near the top of that list in terms of difficult places to operate.
0: I mean, it's it's all... Uh, it, it all- Seemed to be going in MTN's favor and not too long ago. And we were suddenly, you know, we were extolling the fact that MTN was back on a roll, it hit 200 Rand a share, everything was looking good, and then it's all just uh, sunk since then. Um, Jared, just staying with you before I go to Rowan, is MTN a share that you would avoid on the basis that it kind of comes out repeatedly with nasty surprises?
2: Um, I, don't, I wouldn't describe it as, as one we'd avoid, but I think it's one that you would invest in with a lot of caution. I mean, the, the regularity of. of of difficult uh, situations to deal with is quite high and I think that impacts how you need to value the company, what discount rate you put on the cash flows or what multiple you put on the earnings it has to be uh, done with a lot of caution just, just given the nature of it. But I mean clearly there's a price for everything. I, I don't quite think we're there yet in terms of the level of uncertainty and the bad news that's likely to come in terms of the Q4 update but I mean, I think one we're watching quite carefully but it's not one you'd avoid. I think it's just one you've got to trade with, with a lot of caution in terms of understanding the risks that are present and what you prepared to pay for that earnings
0: rowan what would you be prepared to pay for mtn would you be prepared to pay what it is yeah, trading at now
2: <clears throat> and so yeah i guess it's getting
1: closer to fair value i think uh, unfortunately it's a bit of a moving target because as the um, naira continues to devalue and moves closer to i guess uh, the sort of parallel market rate you're getting a clear or fairer sense of the earnings to some extent you could say uh obviously stating the nigerian earnings particularly at the official rate was was overstating the earnings um because that was not the rate that uh, is the real rate or that you could repatriate those earnings at uh back to 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 the, the holding company um and uh also you're seeing a very highly inflationary environment as they sort of normalize that forex um so the other aspect is the cash flow earnings don't look as good as the stated earnings. And so you need to make further adjustments there. I saw an interesting note from a broker saying if we adjust for cash flows, it's actually MTN trading at a similar multiple to Vodacom. And hence, it's not as cheap as it looks. Hmm. So it's probably fair that OK it was before this most recent sell off. Um, but it, it is it's difficult um, and uh, I think there's a lot of uncertainty we're seeing sort of tax grabs as well and that has been a continuous theme over many years. so uh, you'd put a higher discount rate to it lower cash flows and I guess that would mark down the valuation so mm. but I guess probably in the 90s it is probably looking more interesting they still have the fintech sort of optionality, although they're struggling to convert that so a lot of moving parts it's just a very complex investment case that's
0: how we see it yeah i suppose this um, must lead to general bemusement for for people who watched it go to 200 rand, and people were talking it up then I mean, you think well surely all these things are that they're not new issues so i mean was that just total over exuberance that took it there jared
2: i i i think so i mean Clearly, the the environment has deteriorated since then. Um, just, just given I mean the naira move alone and the, and the macro as Ron described, now it's developed in Nigeria is significantly different to where it was when when MTN was trading at those levels. So I think I mean the fintech opportunity and how it was being priced in the in the MTN share was also vastly different. If you just think of where some of the tech multiples and some of the startup businesses were trading at the time, I think a lot of optimism was priced in and around that opportunity. So I think that combined with, with a higher valuation in, in in Nigeria has probably played a big role. Mm. The other factor that, that's clear is the SA consumer environment has also changed quite markedly uh, and the SA business is probably under a bit more pressure as well. So I think it's it's a combination of factors that have
0: led to it coming back. Yeah. Okay. Uh, going to uh, one of the questions that's come through this evening. It's on AdvTech. Um we had Ad Corp's results out, but obviously two uh, s- uh, somewhat different businesses, but perhaps we can talk about the Ad Corp numbers in a bit. Um, but the Advertec question is, uh, the viewer says, I'm thinking of buying Advertec shares. Their profitability is good, great market share, and strong balance sheet. Their investment in Africa also appears to be profitable. They're trading at a P of 12, which in my world seems fair. Is this a good in- investment case for the long run? Also, what happened to their share price uh, from 2017 to 2018, in which uh, they experienced a downside of 60%? hmm uh i mean i suppose i wonder if that's a uh, relevance uh but rowan just uh firstly on a p of 12 um and what they've been doing at the moment do you think they're a decent investment case
1: yeah i certainly do uh, we've uh, pictured in the past and we still like it uh it's got a strong niche in private education uh primary secondary and tertiary education and as the viewer pointed out starting to get strong returns on their African expansion. They've been quite measured on that. Um, They went through a period of uh, significant capex. And I think that's what uh, the viewer was uh, sort of referring to um, earlier. in their cycle took a bit longer to sort of generate returns Um, And they had actually a very high rating back then, but what they've done is they've grown the earnings into the rating. So the PE now is a much more reasonable 12, notwithstanding that the share is close to its record highs. Um, And on a PEG ratio, sort of PE growth ratio, the the growth outlook they've been able to generate in the last number of years, 20% compound annual growth, and they seem to be confident that they'll continue that. So what looks like a reasonable peg ratio of up to 0.6 would screen very cheap, in fact. And I think if you're looking for what is known as growth growth at a reasonable price, this certainly is one to have a close look at. Mm
0: -hmm. Jared, um, is this a stock that you consider or do you prefer something like Stadio? I mean, I suppose neither are strictly comparable, um, but that tends to catch maybe more headlines.
2: I, I think I agree with Rowan's comments on, on advertising completely. Uh, just, just on studio, I mean, it is a business that we like. Um, I mean, obviously, just focused in the tertiary sector uh, exclusively, and and over eighty percent of the business now being uh, online as opposed to physical uh, educations. So we, we like the dynamics of that, just given the margin. Um, the margin profile of a business that's online in terms of the capex spend and what you can generate in that sense. Yeah, the big factor for Studio is clearly it's filling a, a, a niche in the market in terms of distance learning that that Unisa is struggling to cope with, and it's benefiting a little bit in terms of a tailwind of student numbers as the pressure at Unisa surfaces. So a little bit of a sweet spot in terms of the gap in in tertiary education in the country and benefiting a little bit in that sense. But we like the space generally just, just given the dynamics that are there.
0: Just and on the viewers' question on the, the the decline in share price, which was quite significant between twenty eighteen and twenty or twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen, um, Jared, is that something uh, that a, an, a potential investor in a stock has to go back and, and kind of look at um, in a share? You know, so theoretically, do you do you say maybe this is a slightly cyclical company, or there was a particular event? I seem to remember that they were they had to kind of cut their dividend or they didn't pay out as much in dividends as they had promised. I, that's, that's what I seem to remember from that period, but uh, I obviously stand to be corrected. Um, but is it relevant, if you're, if you're uh, wondering about a share, to look at kind of past market cycles? Um, for a share like Advertec, I understand a resources stock is probably something quite different where there are very definite market cycles, but this is, you wouldn't have expected this to be a particularly cyclical share.
2: I agree. I don't think it is a particularly uh, cyclical share. Just the nature of the business should be quite defensive in terms of uh, education and it's, it's really a need that you have to, that you can't do without in tough times, yes you're under pressure but you'd have to just manage that. I think if we look back in time, I mean as Ron alluded to I mean the the, the stock traded on a very high multiple, yes the earnings have grown but there's also a lot of excitement in and around Currow and AdverTech when uh, deals and combinations were muted back then and I think the multiple and perhaps the share price ran away with itself back then. Mm. I mean, Clearly the growth rate is moderated from here but um, I think that's probably the main factor that, that led to the pullback and a little bit of excitement and and, um, multiple contraction, but not that familiar with anything else if it was caused by that.
0: Yeah. Rowan, I mean, is it just also, you know, a share can get too expensive at that point in time and, and this is why, you know, the pullback is inevitable?
1: Yes I mean it uh, just shows that uh, investors can get over enthusiastic uh, about a growth story and uh, I think it's just a cautionary tale to look at the multiples so uh, because what's baked into the price in terms of expectations and I guess uh, if uh, the expectations are extremely high the, the shares often teed up for disappointment because uh, a small earnings miss doesn't even have to be that big but you know the extrapolation of those earnings in the sort of valuation If you reduce that so that the share price comes down. But I think 12p compared to, say, 20 or 25, which maybe it wasn't at some point in time, is significantly different. So there's a margin of safety there just in the valuation.
0: Yeah. Okay. Jared, it's a slow night tonight. And I sort of understand that a lot of South Africa is feeling probably quite dazed today. But it's been a slow October. Um, It's actually been a really tough months, sort of forwards backwards, volumes have been abysmal and I wonder how a stock like the JSE Limited um, uh, how you regard it in light of, of what's been a really, really tricky time on South African markets.
2: I think there's a number of factors there. So, I mean, typically October is, is a little bit of a slower month just in terms of June year ends and the timing of reporting and how it sits. But generally, I, I think the question is valid. I mean, volumes are down quite meaningfully in the last few months that you can see going across the broker desks um a, a lack of activity and catalyst-driven volume that hasn't really come through in the market. Uh, but structurally as well, I mean, a company like the JC does face pressure in terms of the number of delistings that we've seen from our market. So, I mean, the universe of stocks uh, available to trade has shrunk dramatically. And in those mm-hmm. that are left, we've seen a lot of volume exported to other markets. I mean, the, the large obvious one is is the process with more volume traded offshore than it is locally now does does impact local market volumes. So a couple of factors that um, are impacting it at the moment, uh, specifically now in terms of the lack of news flow.
0: Mm. Rowan, would you be quite bearish on the J C Limited specifically? And I'm not talking of the Aussie Index, I'm talking about the actual uh, you know, exchange listed on the exchange.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting one that the JC is sort of a reflection of the the, JC, uh, the broader JSE uh, index in that uh, it's got a fairly low valuation, uh, but it's uh, unexciting, uh, and there are not many catalysts. Um, the, uh, compared to, to international exchanges, it cha- trades at a significant discount, so it's always screened as a value stock. Uh, their metrics are good in terms of return on capital, cash flows, uh, dividend yields, uh, yet uh, there's no top-line growth and that's sort of leading to actually a declining rating and uh, i think that we're seeing that across a number of sectors it's just uh, there's not much activity and uh, not much enthusiasm and uh, so it's it's quite a difficult one i think you've got to watch for for volumes but in the short term we don't see any catalyst we, we're going to go into an election uh, next year so the market's probably going to be quite skittish and nervy Mm. And this kind of environment may continue for a little while.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is kind of bad news for, for you know, a few other shares listed on the JSE. Um, Jared, w- w- maybe we'll look back at 2023 and think one of the big catalysts for the market was the changes to Regulation 28 in which pension funds were allowed to, to lift the cap of what they can invest offshore. And I wonder if you have a sense at this stage of whether you think maybe – they've maxed out kind of their offshore allocations. And if you get to that point, does it mean that then automatically there's going to be a little bit more money allocated to the JC, in which case you would see um, trading volumes start to pick up?
2: Sure. I, I, I think certainly um, the, the changes to Reg 28 was moving more. Of the allowance offshore has had a negative impact in terms of our market volumes and also the rating of, of, of local stocks as well as bonds. Um And you can see that's come through most most definitely in terms of where it ends I mean clearly there is a limit in terms of the forty five percent you you know just doing a track of uh, balanced fund allocations and where, where we're sitting at the moment, you can see an increase. I mean, anything from the low 30s to around 40% is, is is where most of the kind of surveys are sitting for most asset managers. So clearly, there is a little bit of room towards the 45%, but we're probably closer to the end than we are at the beginning in terms of the uh, the net selling and moving offshore, which I suppose is a bit of a positive in that sense. We still have to get interest in our market from foreigners, I think, to drive volumes and ratings up totally. But I mean, getting a, an end to what has been net selling, a lot of pressure would, would, would be a positive catalyst, I would think.
0: Yeah. Rowan, do you think maybe the sheer cheapness of so many shares on the JSE is going to start attracting money from abroad finally?
1: I mean, you would hope so. And uh, I think uh, there's sort of been sporadic bouts of it, uh, but you've got to weigh that up against the prospects of the South African economy, uh, and we've scored uh, a lot of own goals uh, this year that have uh, sort of come to the fore, obviously uh, ESCOM and Transnet uh, uh, being the two main culprits there, which uh, have reduced the um, potential growth capacity uh, of the South African economy. And I think until we change that perception, investors have a number of other alternatives in emerging markets so they're saying why uh, specifically south africa and they're saying valuations are cheap but there's, there's no growth so there's no catalyst so they're, they're unlikely to 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 improve i think um as i said uh, next year there'll be some uncertainty and uh, sort of investors are going to watch that closely uh, but if we get a positive uh, sort of outcome in terms of politically, I think that could create a catalyst. If you recall, from the f- euphoria all those years ago, it feels like a distant memory. Yeah, uh, but uh, they are cheap, and I think at the right sort of with the right uh circumstances we will get uh foreign flow, but I don't think it's we're there yet.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. So we're talking about a company that is wholly um exposed to the international market and that's Richemont, which has also had a really interesting year. Um started off well, then went really spectacular and then has pulled all the way back again. Um the viewer asks whether Richemont is a buy at the moment um jared do you think maybe all the froth is now out of the price and um or is it deservedly so out of the price given the slowdown in retail in sales that you're starting to see amongst the luxury uh, goods groups
2: uh, i think it's a difficult one to answer yes it's been a, a a wild ride in terms of where richmond's come from this year i mean clearly a lot of optimism around um you know, the, the strength and defensiveness of the luxury brands into the first half of the year. I mean, you saw China is reopening a lot of optimism around sales and what it would look like there. Uh, and that's really been tempered in, in, in the last few months. We have seen some weak uh, consumer data points, particularly out of the US that makes us a little bit cautious. Um, I mean, there's a number of dynamics that are playing out there in terms of the higher interest rates. Um, and, and what it means in terms of consumer discretionary spend going forward. So probably a little bit cautious on luxury spend in, in light of what is still a probability of of very difficult macro conditions and the ability for consumers to to have to tighten their belts uh, quite sharply. But the price has come back to the point where it looks a lot more reasonable. Remember, Richmond does sit with a lot of cash on its balance sheet. So it's the type of stock that you do want exposure to is, is one that's defensive and with a strong balance sheet in this type of environment but a little bit cautious on the macro and the consumer discretionary spend is what I taper it against. So probably mixed views at the moment.
0: Mm, okay. Uh, Rowan, do you have a different view on Richemont? Um Do you think actually it's a fair no, price to get wrong. into... Mm, yeah, sorry
1: you yeah, largely echo uh, jared's comments i think uh what maybe some investors underestimated is that i see it as more cyclical uh than uh than anticipated in terms of and there was still pent-up demand sort of post COVID pent-up demand so what looked like incredible numbers that they were producing at the beginning of the year was really the end of sort of a bit of a consumer binge uh, and that's sort of coming off uh, Hunt Rupert was actually you know quite quite pointed to say he doesn 't expect these sort of results uh, to continue and the demand to remain as robust um, and uh, I guess he 's just being realistic about the prospects so I think there could be further sort of cyclical pressure, and uh, the earnings will come down further, so the valuation does look more reasonable in the multiple, but I think as Jared said, you know you 've got to be cautious and, and sort of watch. Uh, the sort of consumer sentiment uh, globally. And I think it could still soften further.
0: Do you like any of the luxury goods groups at this point? Because it's not Richemont. Um, and Richemont is quite specific in that it's got the Watchmakers, Maison. Where You know, it's not quite as maybe diversified as LVMH, which spans a huge range of kind of luxury entry points, you know, whether it's a handbag or a lipstick or a bottle of champagne. Um Jared, I mean, are there any other, uh, you know, and it's not just LV it's Hermes, um, there's Caring, um, Montclair, there's quite a few options. Um, do you think they're all expensive at this point? <laughs>
2: I think I mean, it's not a sector I cover or know uh, intimately well, but, but one, one company that we've looked at in detail that I mean, we consider as, as, as a luxury brand is something like Porsche. I mean, Spun out of VW, I think it was a very interesting listing. Uh, premium brand that, that that has traded and still trades a significant discount is something like Ferrari. I mean, it's interesting in terms of its ability to price, its pressure, its margin profile also similar to, similar to a luxury good and generates very good returns. We think something like that that's under the radar of, of, of most luxury stocks is, is one that's quite interesting
0: yeah rowan anything else before i get to your actual stock picks this evening
2: <laughs>
1: yeah i was uh, also thinking along those lines we do see those luxury car companies as sort of uh, yeah a luxury brands so i think what we could just say what we would avoid is uh recently if you've seen the um the luxury liquor groups uh the sort of uh the demand has fallen off a cliff there. So mm. uh, that is uh, very cautionary, um, sort of Pernod Ricard, Remy Martin, uh, which would obviously flow through, I think, into LVMH. So I think you'd be looking for more niche-focused um Brands who may actually look quite good, uh, that they seem to have the, the upper upper end, which is more yeah. defensive, I'd say, than somebody's MASH luxury brand. So that's probably where we would look more closely.
0: Yeah, look, it's not everyone who can spend $100,000 on a bag. Um, OK, getting to your stock picks very quickly. Sorry, I ate into that time there. Jared, what's yours this evening?
2: Uh, my stock pick is MultiChoice. Um, it's a company that's, uh, hits a new fresh load today. So it has traded in, in one direction. I, I think the challenges are very well known that MultiChoice is facing at the moment. A, a plethora of them. I mean, coming out of some of the load shedding impact and, and the consumers. Uh, pressure that it's facing at the moment has clearly hurt the ESA business uh, and its cash generation. You've got uh, Naira weakness, uh, just to add to to what is almost a perfect storm that the business is facing. So, I mean, we think it's going to be under pressure in terms of the earnings that it reports in a couple of weeks, but under the surface, there's still a very good cash generating business. There's north of 23 million subscribers uh, and a good footprint across Africa that's quite hard to replicate in terms of the distribution, its content, as, as, as well as its reach. So, a base business that's probably Earnings low and a very low multiple now, yeah. with a, the with a chance uh, of corporate activity, given the stake that Vivendi's got in the business as well.
0: Okay, one to watch. Uh, Rowan, how about you?
1: We're just going with the uh, Bellweather Anglo American. I think what we saw is uh, quite a significant sell off of some of these diversified miners, uh, most recently with the sort of conflict in the Middle East, uh, but more generally, obviously, as China slows down and uh, concerns about a US recession it's got to sort of a trough and a low point in pounds around close to that 20 pound mark which is uh, typically an attractive entry point we think the long-term prospects are still good they're all much better businesses the global diversifieds and obviously the continued greening of uh, the economy will drive uh, demand for copper nickel uh, and some of their base metals so we think they're well positioned and it's a good entry point
0: Okay. Jane, thanks so much for joining us on the show this evening. Nice to chat to you both. Uh, Rowan Williams is from Nitrogen Fund Managers and Jared Houston is from All Weather Capital. Coming up, the close. Stay with us.